Welcome and thank you for joining us. At Worship Harvest, we believe that we are a movement of the gospel, discipleship and mission. And we are committed to catalyzing spiritual, social and economic renewal in our immediate communities and as a result, the world. Here is this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Turn to your neighbor and say good morning. And tell them welcome home. Turn to the other one and tell them God loves you. Tremendously loves you. Um, my name is Stuart Sebombo. And I'm, I'm privileged to partner with God in ministering the word this morning. Amen. I'm married to one beautiful lady. <laughs> Elizabeth Sebombo. And together we have 12 children. Yes, 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 people. <laughs> I know I'm aging well. Firstly, when, when I look at that word, welcome home, the first thing I think about are my parents. Not only my earthly parents, but my heavenly father. The one whom I love. The one who loves me so much more than I can ever imagine. And so every time I see it, I remember everything that has not gone well through the week. I remember every other testimony the enemy has tried to convince me about. And then I remind myself where I am. Amen. So tell your neighbor, welcome home. Welcome home. Whatever it is that you're carrying throughout the week, just lay it aside and tell your soul, welcome home. The Father is here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Your word says that we're two more gathered. You're there in their midst. And your word is true. So even as we study your word this morning, may you open the eyes of our understanding. May you give us hearts of flesh to receive your word, that it shall bear fruit, because it is your word. It is your word. We do not come in the eloquence of men, but because of your spirit who is in this place, we know that we are going to understand, and know that we are going to, to be made fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. Before we move on, I would like us to declare the same thing that we keep declaring in this house. That it is a disease-free zone, number one. Amen? That none of our relatives shall die without receiving Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And that we are an economic powerhouse. Amen? So I don't care what you feel in your body this morning. I don't care what your bank account says. I don't care how far, how far your relative seems to be from the Lord. God's word is true and his word alone. And so I declare those things to come to pass in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go into the word. Today we are going to study about one of Jesus' one. One of Jesus' one. And that's the woman at the well. Shall quickly go to John chapter 4 from verse 3. And we're going to read together aloud. From verse 3, he left Judea 
and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. The he there is Jesus, yeah? He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. And then let's first just continue. If you can just continue and give me John chapter 5. I mean chapter 4, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Shall I just keep going? A woman of Samaria, somebody say, a woman of Samaria, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. What then do you get? Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I first wanted us to read that so that we can get Grounding for where we are at in the scriptures at this moment. Jesus was coming from Judea and was going to Galilee. And we see in verse 3 that it says, he departed again to Galilee. Meaning that that wasn't his first time going that way. But he needed to go through Samaria. He needed, he did not have to, but he needed to go through Samaria. He did not have to, but he needed to go through Samaria. Jesus had that woman on his mind right from the start. That's why he needed to go through Samaria. If we look at the, the map, if you look at the map up there on the screen, you can see where Nazareth is, and then you can see where Jerusalem is. And that red line that you see that goes round across the Jordan through Perea, and then again across the Jordan to Jericho, is the usual route that the Jews would take when they're going up to the temple to, to worship their God. Samaria is right between those two points. But something interesting about these two 
peoples is that they had no kindness towards one another. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings that, in 2 Kings, the Jews had been taken into exile by the Assyrians. And so the people who settled in Samaria intermarried with those other pagan tribes, pagan nations. Meaning that the Jews who stayed never considered those people as true Jews, as true Israelites. The law was very strict concerning worshipping other gods, concerning intermarriages. And there is a prophet called Nehemiah in the, in the Old Testament when he was rebuilding the temple because of that tension between those two tribes, those two nations, the Samaritans and then the Jews, the Samaritans offered to go and participate in rebuilding that temple. And to show you how strongly hateful these people were towards each other, they were denied a chance to rebuild that temple. And so we see in the word that there were two temples. There was one at the mountain where the Samaritans used to worship, and then there was one in Jerusalem, which had been re rebuilt, where the Jews used to worship. That's the kind of hatred we're talking about. That's that long route where they would have to cross the Jordan, travel around Samaria, cross the Jordan again, and then get into Jericho. And they had to do this at least once every year. The Jews considered the Samaritans to be unclean. Because the Bible, again, in 2 Kings tells us, yes, they feared God, but then they worshipped other gods, the other gods of the Assyrians. And so the Jews did not want anything to have to do with the Samaritans. And that's one of the things that you see that contrasts with how Jesus interacts with the woman at the well. There is the issue of being a Samaritan, but then she's also a woman. Remember, Jesus is a rabbi. He's a Jewish teacher. According to the taboos of the Jews, a Jewish teacher was not allowed to interact to a certain extent in public with women. We know how stringent the law was towards the participation of women in the temple. And so there are two things happening here. First, it's a Jewish rabbi talking to a Samaritan lady. The unclean, the filthy, the pagans who are not allowed to worship with the Jews in the temple at Jerusalem. And then secondly, it's public. He's in public and he's talking to a woman. Think about that manner of love. It is unlawful for a Jew to talk to a Samaritan. It's unlawful for a rabbi to have that discourse in public with a woman. And yet he did not have to go through Samaria, but the Bible tells us that he needed to. It was not an accident. The Bible tells us that Jesus used to wake up very early in the morning and spend time with the Father. And so everything he would do, I believe, was not unintended. It wasn't by accident. The Father used to tell him, go here, you'll find someone with maybe eyes to detach them, they will heal. Tomorrow he goes to the Father, the Father tells him, 
go to the other place, go to the pool. Today, don't just touch them, spit in the, in the soil. <laughs> and then rub that soil in his eyes. So it wasn't premeditated that, ah, I did it yesterday. I'm going to do the same thing today. I'm the son of God, I mean. I should know better. So I know that it was a divine appointment. God himself sent Christ to that woman, a Samaritan woman. Picture that in your mind. You know, when I was reading this, I imagined myself as a sheikh. When I was a kid, I used to have a huge scar at my forehead. So I had a chance of eating at all the dark woods. I had a chance of... <laughs> I had, you know, I have a family that has a number of Muslims, and also I would visit, and they would assume, ah, Sebombo, he has a sugida. So he must be a very prayerful child. So I would partake of that morning meal and the evening meal. Anyway, so I imagined myself as a sheikh. You know, Sheikh Muzata. And then God tells me, go to that pork joint. In the evening, when guys are drinking booze and, and you know, they're having their nice ribs. And as you're talking, even ask for a rib. You know, just so that you can... Yeah? <laughs> so that you can be part of the conversation. And I wonder how many of us would ridicule that. You know, it's very quick to dismiss something simply because of our taboos, because of our social standings. And yet it is God who sent Christ to that woman. It's very easy to dismiss someone who is very openly rebellious to God and say, ah, salvation for that one, not yet, not yet. They still need to become a bit softer. Come for a few praise rallies here and there. Start responding to the amens with praise God. And then I can reach out to them. A Samaritan woman. The Bible says that a Jew would become unclean by touching anything that is unclean. How close will God come to find the lost. How close does God get out of his way to find us and just bring us back home? And say, welcome home. Welcome home, my child. No matter where you may be. Dwelling in Samaria, worshipping many other gods, living an unclean life, according to the Jews. He left that route, that long route that they used to take and intended to meet that lady at that well. John 4 verse 5 says, He came to a city of Samaria which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being worried from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. We all know that every time a number is mentioned in the word, it's not, it's not, you know, a coincidence or anything like that. So we shall look into the sixth hour. Verse 7 says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now think about that animosity that they have towards one another. Yeah? Think about a nicest guy. Finds you at your home. He has his rifle here. And then he looks very weary. Then says, Kadinonoa. 
First of all, he knows you're a pagan. Otherwise, he would have greeted you then. No more, you know, says, Katino Noah, can I come in and have a drink? Perhaps he's putting on that vest and your kids are in the house and says, can I come in? You're going to be suspicious. Of course. What's, what's the game plan? What does this guy really want? But on the side of Jesus as well, when he says, give me a drink, from whose cup? Everything in Samaria is unclean. From whose cup is he going to drink? A woman's cup, first of all, a Samaritan's cup. Do you see the risk he's putting himself to as well? A Jewish rabbi drinking from a Samaritan's cup, alone at a well with a woman. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful headline. <laughs> For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan? She was also shocked. She was also shocked. There are stories of friends who I was with at campus. One of them, he accepted me to share this testimony. It's called Paul. He didn't come, he didn't get saved, you know, at an altar call or anything like that. The way he met God is quite interesting. He used to be a drunk, a drunk. Drunkard, you know, parties and everything. And God met him in his room. In his room. Can't you see? Can't you see who I am? Can't you see what I've done? Can't you see that last night I was in the club? Now you're telling me that I, I have to speak prophetically to my neighbor. We all know that God knew that that woman was a Samaritan. He knew all the laws that the Jews had. And yet he still took that risk of being abhorred by the Jews by having this interaction with this Samaritan woman. And she also testifies and says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. By the time someone travels around your territory, every time they need to go to your neighbor, then you know that there has to be something going on between the two of you. You know when the landlord calls at the end of the month and you've taken like five months without paying? Have, have any of us lived near the landlord? <laughs> right now is your, is your neighbor. In the morning, landlord of Ajari, the car is parked. So you first hold on. And then when the car leaves, you also get out. <laughs> then you come back, well, either he, whether he's not yet back or very late when they are asleep. You have no dealings with your landlord. And you surely know why. <laughs> it's not because you're paid up front. It's not because you have good rapport. There is always something. There is always something. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. A Jewish rabbi talking to a Samaritan woman alone presents a very complicated picture. And this for us shows us that God will break all kinds of boundaries to connect. All kinds of boundaries to connect. Whatever excuse you may give, how filthy you might be, what your social status might be, I'm a stammerer. I cannot speak in public. Oh, Lord, don't you know that I've messed up so many times? 
Meanwhile, this woman's wrongdoing is public. It's not, it's not some of those things where it's only you and God know. She's a Samaritan woman. She knows, as in if, a, if another rabbi came and found her with Jesus, it would be very clear that there is sin ongoing. Seriously. <laughs> it is very evident. Verse 10 tells us, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would, lay, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? She's now going back to that thing of you're a Jew. Do you think that I also don't worship? We're also children of Jacob. That religious spirit that keeps giving those excuses. Where you tie the relationship with God down to just the duty. And then see how Jesus answers her. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. That is the water from Jacob's well. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Tell your neighbor, you will never thirst. You will never thirst. This was interesting to me because there are two con contrasts. And Jesus seems to be dodging the questions the woman keeps asking, asking him. <laughs> the woman says, how is it that you being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So I guess she's waiting for an answer. How is it that you being a Jew? And then Jesus, if you knew the gift of God, <laughs> if you knew the gift of God and who it is, but she has just said that you're a Jew. If you knew the gift of God and who it is, who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, I mean, I am, I've come to the world to fetch my water. Are you asking me for a drink? And then I ask you whether you have any hidden intention, and your response is to offer me a drink. Does that make sense? You could have offered me a drink in the beginning. Why are you asking me for a drink if you have some to offer me? I don't know if you see that. Jesus is thirsty. The Bible says that he was worried from his journey. He comes to the well, meets the woman. Woman has come to draw her water. The woman, just to clear any suspicion in case it's a Jew trying to trick her and maybe there are guys in the nearby waiting to stone her because of that abomination of them interacting, asks, how is it that you a Jew? You who considers yourself clean and you consider me unclean. Who considers yourself to worship the true God and you consider me to worship all these other gods? How is it that you're asking me for water? I am the one with the bucket. I am the one with the rope. You have nothing to draw with. Yet you have no dealing with me as a Samaritan woman. And I guess this moment Jesus would have said, now you see, according to this law, it permits me in such a circumstance, maybe if I'm too thirsty, or if, if I'm so broke, I can testify now that I'm broke, or if I'm so sick, in that moment I can say, maybe this one he doesn't heal. 
Or if we declare that, you know, none of our loved ones will, will die without seeing Christ. God, maybe this one, there is, you know, this one, has, he has gone too old, too lost. But see what Jesus says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. I mean, you're the one asking me for the water. And the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well? Verse 14 is quite interesting. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. A fountain of water springing to everlasting life. There are many times we come to God and then we are wondering what we have to offer. Looking at our strengths. Looking at our own effort. And yet we forget that salvation is a free gift. I want you to contrast the idea of the woman with her bucket and her rope and having to come back to that well of Jacob, someone she holds in high esteem, their father. But every time she's thirsty, she has to come back to that well and draw water. And yet Jesus is offering living water. He says, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Meaning you do not have to come with your bucket and rope and keep drawing when you receive the salvation of God. It doesn't matter what hindrance you might have, what weakness you might have. When you drink that living water, there is a fountain that springs up inside you. And it starts to supply without you having to draw your own bucket, without you having to depend on your own efforts, without you having to depend on your own goodness. You draw from that living water. You draw from Christ himself. You no longer have any excuse as to why you're fruitless as to why you're unfruitful because it is not your effort the salvation you have received the salvation we have received is simply walking in in the finished works of God you know God did those works at the cross it was finished and when you receive him you walk in the finished work of Christ you don't have to fear whether you're going to make it, whether you've accepted Christ today and tomorrow you're going to fall again, whether you're going to need your bucket at some point you feel thirsty. He promises that you'll never be thirsty again. You have no need to rely on your own goodness again, on your own effort again. The salvation he gives is free. He's the one who works all good things in you. It doesn't matter how far you have fallen. It doesn't matter where you are right now. He's the one who works all good things in you. He works in you to will and to do. When you receive Christ, it's not a matter of coming back to tick off boxes. Today I prayed. Yesterday I fasted. You know, a few hours before lunch, but still I fasted. Yeah. <laughs> 
This reminds me that it draws me to a place of relationship again. It's a promise. It's a promise. Someone thirsty, promising you that you'll never be thirsty again. <laughs> I think the woman must have thought there's something wrong with this Jewish rabbi, but let me engage him anyway. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Then Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. <laughs> wow. From all the responses that Jesus gives, we see that his intention wasn't really to get her water. His, his intention wasn't really to drink from the water she had to give. But with all the things he was saying, he was drawing her into relationship. He was simply drawing her into relationship. He knew that she had a certain thinking. And he knew argument was not going to win him anything. And so he was drawing her to see that, yes, I'm a Jewish rabbi, but you don't really know who I am. You have your presumptions of these rules and these taboos and these things that we have set up, these rules that we have set up. But have you really met the gift of God? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he that he what? You know, sometimes even us who have received him, we get to a place and we forget that it's a relationship. We forget that it's a gift. We forget that as much as we have received him, we have an advocate who sees our deepest needs, who will cut through the pain, who understands when we falter, who calls us to come back to him that he shall wash us with his words. And so, we have this checklist and we keep ticking things off. I'm on the music team. Oh, today I minister to two people. And so you try to mix the free gift with what has been freely given. And there is never any fruit in us trying to gain what has been freely given. When you know that you are loved by this God who is perfect, when you know that you are loved by a God who came from his glory clothed in flesh. I don't know how many of you would like to become a chair just for a day. To become something that you have made. Do you know how hard it was for God to be man? The commander of all those hosts of angelic beings, the creator of the universe to be a man, that he could get tired walking on a journey. Can you imagine? God got tired and asked for a drink <laughs> just so that this woman could receive that salvation. Praise the name of Jesus. I don't know where you might be or what you might do, but see the extent that God will go to just to show you that he died for you so that you could be free. That he died so that you could be reconciled to this amazing family. That he died to break that barrier between the Jew and the Samaritan. Fifteen. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst. No, come here to draw. And then Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come. The woman answered and said, 
I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have, the one whom you now have, is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. The openness, the sincerity with which to come to that relationship. Knowing that there is no need to hide anything from him. By the time he comes to you, he knows you. By the time he asks me to partner with him, he knows me. It's not because of my good record. He knows me. I am fully known and yet fully loved. He knows me. There is no shame in being in Christ. Don't fear to give your life to Christ. So don't fear to declare that I am born again. I'm born of the Spirit simply because you're worried about what you might do tomorrow. No. The one who died for you more than 2,000 years ago saw this very moment. While he was at the cross, he saw you. He saw all your weaknesses and he said he will be your strength. He saw all your diseases and he paid for them. Died for you on the cross. He saw everything that we don't see when you come for garage smiling and moving about as if everything is okay. And he died even for those things. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of knowing that only in Christ can we find rest. But you cannot rest from something that you have not handed over. Jesus gives her rest. Six priests could not be saved by the works of the law. We see in the story in Luke, things Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Six water pots of stone were useless until Jesus turned that water into wine. Six days you shall work. Christ is your Sabbath day. A mirror image of those six husbands. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Again, the hindrance of religion. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit. In spirit. In spirit. Nothing to do with religion. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus, now this is the main reason he had come to meet with her, said to her, I who speak to you am he. I who speak to you am he. Praise the Lord. Do you know the one who speaks to you? Do you know the one who has called you? Do you really know the Messiah? Have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? What's the image of God that you have in your mind? Who is Christ to you? Is he just a teacher, a Jewish teacher, who is ready to point out all your uncleanliness? Or is he the gift God gave because of his amazing love for you? 
while you are still a sinner, he died for you. Do you know that Jesus, do you know that Jesus who went through all the things the body goes through, weariness, pain, suffering, just so that you could be set free? Do you know the Jesus who saw you 2,000 years ago, saw you ahead of time, stealing, lying, sleeping around, and said, I will still die. I will still die. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. The Jesus who sees past what other people might think are barriers towards your salvation and says, no, come. Come as you are. I can handle that. I can clean that up. I still died for you. Friends, what are you placing as an excuse to having a relationship with him? What has the enemy planted in your mind that is too stained for the blood of Jesus to wash away? Because he came all the way from glory just for you, just for me. Just for me. Think about it. I don't know how many people in the world, but he came just for me. How many of us have never messed up ever since they came to Christ? Oh, brother, God bless. I'm like, there's no one. Okay. Just for you and me. To have that reassurance that if he died for me while I was a sinner, if he took that whole distance just to come for me, to know him, then I surely can surrender everything. I can surrender all the habits. I don't have to have things in the closet to put on something to cover when I'm coming to church and then I become my real self when I get home. No, he wants everything. It doesn't matter how filthy you might be. It doesn't matter what society has labeled you. It doesn't matter what name is attached to you or your family. Come as you are. God is more than able. He's more than willing. More than willing. Don't fear that you shall stain him. No, you can't. You can't. You can't make him unclean. You can't. Come as you are. Open up your heart. Surrender everything, everything, everything. Even those things that you call little. You know, in our minds, sometimes we have a sin that is so gross. Then we have the small sin. The holiness of God puts all those things at the same measure. And so what an awesome privilege it is that he has called us into relationship with him, a holy king. The same God who says that when you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. That's the same God. The same God who hates homosexuality. The same God who forgave Saul after he had been a murderer. The same God who sees every little lie. But he's the same God who sees your pain. The Bible says he understands everything we go through because he went through the same. He understands your pain. He understands your sense of inefficiency. And that should be the thing that draws us out into relationship. Amen? And then what should we do after we have seen that this is the kind of love that God has given to us? 
when you know that something so wonderful has been given to you and then you see very many around you who have not yet received that same love. We simply do what Jesus did. We said today, I'm not going to go across the Jordan just to cross again to get to Judea. I'm going to tell everyone, everyone I know who has not encountered this Jesus. I'm going to tell every prostitute. I'm going to tell everyone who is captured, who has been, you know, bound in religion. I'm going to tell everyone who is struggling. I don't know with whatever habit. I'm going to tell everyone who feels that they're incompetent. Everyone who feels that they do not measure up. That God loves them. That I have seen one who has told me everything that I've ever done. Like this woman said. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out to the city and came to him. Friends, after you have seen a love so great that he considers not what you have done, but rather what he did for you at the cross, look around you. There are many people who are in darkness. Many people who have not met this kind of love. Many people who do not know this Savior. And then tell them, come, come and see. Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Come and see the one who has healed my pain. Come and see the one who has forgiven me of all things that I ever did. Come and see the one who forgave me. The one who washed me. Come and see the one who understands my weaknesses. And tells me that is my strength. Come and see the one who has promised me that I will never thirst again. Because if it is true what he has promised, then we better go out there and tell everyone to come and see. Amen? Amen. So friends, as I conclude, I just want us to be challenged. First, to be challenged. That if God in his glory in his perfection. Christ walking the earth did not consider himself and yet he had a right to, but he did not consider himself to measure up to God. But he took on this flesh just so that we could be saved. That God gave his only begotten son. I don't know how many of us would give our children. Just so that a sinner like me could be saved so that I could get this gift of eternal life, then how much more should we tell those who have not seen, those around us who are struggling in darkness, those around us who are lost, the people in our neighborhoods, the people in our workplaces, about this Christ who can give them a new life, how much more should we tell them to come and see, come and see what God has done? Witnessing is not difficult. The woman simply said, come and see a man who has told me all things that I ever did. Just take what you have gone through. What is it that God forgive you? What is it that he has carried you through in the week? What is your testimony? Let that be your door to tell others, come and see. Come and see. Come and see this Jesus that has saved me. Amen. All right, let's get up on our feet.
friends. The price that was paid was not a cheap one. The price that was paid was not a cheap one. I want you to right now just close your eyes and imagine. Imagine Christ on the cross. The Bible says he was naked. 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 All that shame, all that pain. Imagine his father in heaven looking down and his son, his only begotten son, is on the cross naked, bloody, wounds open. Just for you and me. Just for you and me. That's the kind of love that has set us free. That's the kind of love that has set us free. Father, that you did not withhold anything. That you did not withhold anything for us to be saved. Just go on this very moment and give him thanks in your own words for the cross. Give him thanks in your own words for everything that is yet to be done. He promises that you will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. When you have him, you have no need of anything else. There is no crown that can measure up. There is no title that can measure up. There is no amount of sin that can diminish the power of the cross. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. All you have to do is to surrender. All you have to do is to say yes. Yes, I receive your love. Yes, Father, I receive your forgiveness. Father, I receive your goodness. I receive your kindness. I receive your gift of salvation. Thank you for listening to this teaching. We hope that you've been blessed by the Worship Harvest Sermon Series. For more teachings and other resources, visit www.worshipharvest.org or call 0393-281-555. That is 0393-281-555.